This is the Sky's Blue Podcast. Good evening, everybody. We're down to a trio tonight. Me, Phil Tilly, Paul Fisher and Daryl Carpenter for our December podcast. There's all sorts of things happening in the last week or two that I'm sure will keep us very, very busy to think about it. Uh, um, Stuart may well join us a little bit later on, but uh, he's not able to just at the moment in time. But four points out of two games under the James Rowe banner, including a clean sheet. Paul, it started pretty well. It certainly has, hasn't it? I mean, there's been a complete change in uh, what's happened. Who, who'd have thought you can get the same or different type of uh, attitude, I suppose? I'm, I'm a bit reluctant to question their attitude in many respects, but get the same uh, sort of different sort of performances out of the players just by tweaking it a little bit. You know, so does it say that they were? It was always in there in those players. Well, maybe they weren't playing for the the previous managers. I'm not sure because it's not too dissimilar to the side from a couple of years ago. They're still virtually the same players. Amazing, really, that we've got uh, four points and completely different performances from what we've seen all season. And Daryl, you know, he, he was straight on to the 3-5-2 formation that most supporters had thought was uh, not right for what we'd got. The 4-4-2 against Notts County, extra time or additional time apart had worked pretty well. But he's looked at what's there, thinks that's right, and by by gosh, it looks right. It, it was a transformation, Phil. I watched the first 10 minutes at Weymouth and checked my feet to make sure I got the right match. Um, I mean, we were on the front foot, and, and that's something we haven't been for a number of years. There was balance, we were pressing, and we were 15 yards further up the pitch. Hollis looked like some kind of latter-day Beckenbauer. Um, <laughs> Evans looked a completely different animal out on the right rather than playing the centre of a three. Um, Weston, again, was outstanding, and I think he has been for a week or two, as we mentioned in the last chat we had. But um, I know he made a particular point of that on Tuesday night. Um, but no, overall, to say he'd been in the building... 48 hours and had a long journey south. I don't know whether he'd sort of been impounding things into them on the bus and telling what he wanted, but my God, he made he made a lot of progress in a short time. Well, I, I, I don't think he's the pounding in type. I think he's the type that just sees what the issue is and makes it clear to people what it is and what they're made to do. Make it so they don't have to think about it too much and they can just get on with looking at the problem that's immediately in front of them in the next 10 seconds and switching Evans to the right of three central defenders and bringing back uh, Hollis because yeah, I was fortunate enough to see his first training set up, first 11 v 11 training session on the pitch at the technique after the unveiling and he initially got Yarny in that middle uh, position but then switched to, to Hollis later and certainly George Foster I'm sure will have had a big say in that but yeah that was two players Paul transformed mm. from what we've been seeing 
Yeah, it's amazing what a little tweak can do. What he spotted, obviously, in those five games that he'd studied, that he'd admitted to, that he'd seen five games prior to uh, arriving for the job. He saw that and immediately thought, well, if I try that, move him there. He obviously knows that Hollis has not been playing. Um, Captain Maguire, where he is on the side of the three? And then, um, you know, the fullbacks can push further up the field. And then he's got uh, players there who just, you know, not having to defend or sit back all the time or wait for the second balls to come in. So a little tweak like that, you know, just certainly helped this uh, this team go forward. And it looks like the, the players have, have bought into that as well. You know, they're getting the ball. And the, the fact of the matter is you've played further up the field, they're less likely are to concede a goal, aren't you? So, you know, if, you, if you've got the ball in the opposition's half, it's unlikely you're going to concede. So I think uh, it's simple he started at, at Weymouth playing that high press, but clearly, clearly realised that that wasn't capable of being sustained for 90 minutes. So pulled back for a, a, a while. And, and Weymouth in the early, you know, latter parts of the first half had their, their best spell when that press was was reduced. But they weren't really threatening, were they, Weymouth? They, they, they had play, but, you know, you don't, you don't think the goalkeeper had to, to overexert himself in, in that point when they did have the majority of possession no i mean i, I saw that um i saw that, that the highlights from it as well is mostly dominated in chesterfield's half and, and and sean shields scored an absolute world he didn't he that uh that he did in that in that uh, first half to go one nil down but a lot no no a lot of fans just probably thought oh here we go again but um but it hadn't been like that if you'd listened to or watched the game or listened to the commentary most of the possession that was sort of caught out of the blue them scoring and so it was only a matter of time before Chester were going to were going to score and and to go on and win the game as well with uh, the new signing of score scoring on his debut was uh, was wonderful. That was exactly what the club needed an uplift like that. I know it's only three points in a start, but that's exactly what it needed. And the recognition immediately after the game at Weymouth, Daryl, that uh, you know whilst you know the the goal was undoubtedly a, a cracking cracking shot from Shields. Uh, and it came on the back of a, a good tackle for Evans, but the loose ball ran to the scorer. He, he immediately rec- recognised that uh, uh, there were a couple of players, and he named them in the uh, post-match interview, that probably weren't closing down or watching their man quite as much as as they should. And you got the impression that he'll have had that conversation in the dressing room before he came out and talked to the press. Absolutely, yeah. And uh, I think Smith was one. I can't recall the other, but he said... Cropper. Cropper, was it? Yeah. He certainly made that point, and... Um, uh, it wasn't hanging them out to dry or anything like that. He was, he was stating what you might call the obvious. But as you say, Phil, um, it, it, it wasn't an unnecessary criticism. It was the right thing to say. And I think I think Smithy's one of the ones who's going to feel the the winds of change, to be honest. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, he's, I, I've no doubt he's absolutely wholehearted and he's done a decent job for us in multiple positions and so forth. But his legs have gone. If he, if he had any legs, they've gone. And if he's going to want to play this high-energy pressing, getting midfielders beyond the strikers, which is what Whelan did when, when he came on on uh, Tuesday, then Smithy's not that player, is he? Yeah, what Weston has done is played himself onto the team sheet before you think about anything or have a chance to wonder about who to select with his, his performance in the last game or two. But as you say, Whelan and McCourt, from their substitute appearances against all the shots, have also played themselves into a starting contention, particularly McCourt, who hasn't played since last season because he's been with 
Macclesfield, of course, who, who are defunct and, and have had no games. So he won't have played since February, March time. No, no. Um, it, uh, it made a difference. There are no two ways about it, uh, as did Whelan, who was getting beyond the, the front players. And it was funny, I was, I was speaking to a, a number of people and said, watching the game on Saturday, and you, you kind of have half an ear on the commentary because obviously it's the home commentators, but Whelan's name cropped up again and again and again. And I, I, I took a bit of time kind of watching his performance and thought, what a, what a tidy player he is. Next thing we know, we've shoved him, <laughs> shoved him in the kit tin and brought him on the bus, haven't we? But, you know, um, and, and, of course, we, we, we're all, from where we are, all sort of uh, push everything in down into a, a generic the South. But uh, um, Whelan had, had been playing at, at Yeovil, at Chippenham and Salisbury, which aren't a million miles away from either Aldershot or Gloucester. No. So he'll have been a player that will have been constantly in uh, the, the new manager's um, vision. Yeah. Mm. He's a Liverpoolian, Phil, is he not? In, yeah, yes, yes, he is. He knows Joe. With Salisbury, so whether it was a family move, he was saying on the interview he did with Nick Johnson that he's a big mate of uh, Joseph Yarnis. That's right, yeah. Oh, right. Yeah. yeah. Mm. So, so, but he, you know, whether as a, as a youngster he moved down into that neck of the woods or just the opportunity came with Salisbury, I'm not sure. But, uh, um, you know, I, I, I'm sure James Rowan knew him from a geographical uh, perspective. And of course, Jack McCourt, known at Chesterfield, but also played a season alongside David Buchanan at, at Northampton Town. Uh, um, and again, had been playing in Swindon, again, the geographic areas that, that the manager will know well. So he said he'd seen Jack play a few times and he likes him because he can play holding box to box or attacking number 10. And, yeah. and so you've got a... Uh, a sort of a utilitarian central midfield player in, in, in the squad. Yeah. What, what I thought was really significant Tuesday, we, we had that rocky spell for 10, 15 minutes after half-time. The game had got fairly scrappy, actually, and I didn't think it, it was suiting us at all. And, and he identified it, made the change, and took uh, Mandible off, who'd been, you know, a bit bypassed by the game, I felt, rather than having a bad game. Um and when he made the two changes, um, we, we just got hold of the game by the scruff of the neck. And this is way before any sending off. And there was only one team going to win it from there on in. And how we didn't, I'm not sure, but that's another thing. No, no but, uh, but have you, Paul, in recent years, recalled a nil-nil that has brought out so much positive thinking from Chesterfield supporters? It's, it's it's ironic, isn't it, that it's a nil nil that does it, isn't it? So I've just been uh, I've just been cursed with nil nils, but that's been the best nil nil I've had for the past week. I can assure you of that. Um, it is. Um, uh, I I can't remember a a more positive scoreless draw than for a long time. I I, I just it I, I just one that's not ingrained in memory at all. I I can't seem to think. Of one really that, that that's got uh, that's got me on the edge of his seat, you know that type of thing, waiting for us to 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 score in that game. But you know, it's, it's sort of think, oh, we played really well, really unlucky we didn't, how we didn't score that type of scenario, and you know, and I know the opposition manager has to pick up his side, but deep down he must have been thinking we took a bit of a battering there, we're lucky to come away with a point there, rather than the bluster that he said on the team coach on the way home. But there again, Paul. Aldershot were no mugs. They had four no. very lively attacking players that were 
constantly moving position and giving plenty of things for the back line to, to, to think about. But Hollis and Co. snuffed them out, didn't they? They yeah. they, they prevented because there was there was a lot of pace, a lot more pace in the older attack than we've seen at, at the Technique Stadium for a long time, and yeah. they they potentially were were trouble causers, and they did get behind. They, they 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 had a little bit of a time when they they did look capable of getting into the game, particularly at the start of the second half. But you've got to think. Well, what did Leatheran do? Well, he made a couple of regulations. Yeah, that yeah. that he- what that that header at the second half that was straight at him. That's the only one I can really sort of really remember. They had that shot over the bar. Um, Aldershot will be a dangerous side to to mm. to other teams in this league if they shore up their defence. They 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 could be in a, a false position. You know, and, and, as James Roy pointed out in the interviews afterwards, they're an away side. They've picked up and scored a lot more goals away from home than they have at home because they they do like that counter-attacking style. And you can see they'll catch a lot of people on the hop from yeah. uh, from time to time. But yeah, they 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 they're uh, to me a, a typical national league side that they've got strengths, but not necessarily offer the consistency that you need to see to to mount a challenge at the the, the top end of the of the table. And Weymouth, Daryl, were no mugs either. No, absolutely not. Um, I mean, they they played some good football in the uh, in the style of their manager. Really, it was a, a stylish midfielder, wasn't he? Brian Stock at Donny and other places. Uh, yeah, they they like to get it down and knock it about. Um, and and once they got the injection of the goal on Saturday, uh, they did give us a rough sort of ten or fifteen minutes leading up to half time when. We got the equaliser. Very deservedly got the equaliser. Yes, it was. But they, they got Josh McCoy up front, who, who gave us a lot of problems. One of the men who, I think he came in as a sub for Bournemouth in the last game at Saltergate. So he's been around a bit and got plenty of experience and uh, at a much higher level than the National League. But no, they, they, they were no bad team. And, and as you were saying about the, the commentary... Uh, uh, Whelan was mentioned time and again. And it, it was one of those when he was substituted. Uh, I, I was thinking, do you know what? I wouldn't have done that bit of being their manager because I think he's been their most dangerous player. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but the, the encouraging thing about both games is, and the first one in particular, we didn't let the heads go. Uh, we were a bit befuddled for 10 or 15 minutes, but we, we didn't drop drop the chins on the ground and think, oh, well, it's me. Um, and once we, we got back on level terms, you can only see us going on to win the game, really. And on on Tuesday it would have been very easy to have lost your discipline and thrown caution to the wind in trying to get a winner. And the number of times we've lost games like that, one nil, by allowing the breakaway in the last um, it was it was it was refreshing to see um, that we could actually maintain the pressure, uh, keep on the front foot and keep creating chances, Paul. It was yeah. uh, it was good stuff. It certainly was. I think that um, Sean Shields, who scored for them, has been around a bit as well at, uh, at Ebbsfleet. I remember commentating he was one of Ebbsfleet's better players in a very poor Ebbsfleet team, you know, in midfield. And that was an absolute belter of a strike, wasn't it, uh, Dal? Well, yeah. When, <laughs> it was typical, really, of the season we were having, because when he stepped inside on his right, I thought, well, hopefully he's left-footed. Clearly wasn't. <laughs> uh, as, the, as the top corner bulged in leather and grass at thin air. Um but it, it was so against the run of play. I mean, Asante, who looked really sharp and seemed to be reading most things Denton was knocking down to him as, as to where he needed to be in and around a big man, 
Um, he could have had three or three goals certainly before he got the one he got. Um, yeah. Um, yeah. Ashanti certainly seems to be able to read Tom Denton pretty well, doesn't he? Yeah. 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 yeah I mean, almost it, it, like in the early days, that was what Scott Bowden was doing regularly. Yeah, uh, and that, uh, that's going to be a dangerous. Bowden, yeah, it's going to be a dangerous trio, though, isn't it? It's going to yes, be a real dangerous uh, trio, though. I, 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 I think Bowden could well become super sub again. You know, yeah. looking look at the situation, going on to tired legs after Asante's run people ragged. And uh, uh, and Denton, who often for the last couple of seasons has been the guy dragged off at the end when nothing's happening, uh, uh, is the man that is helping to make things happening. And it was interesting, after the... Weymouth match with no microphones particularly running, just chatting with, with James Rowe. He was sort of saying, we just need to get a variety of balls into Tom Denton. He recognises he can play on the deck and recognises sometimes put it into his chest yes. as well as his head. So I think we'll see it. And I think the Dover game off being off this weekend will give them a chance to work on a lot of things like, um, like that without worrying about a fixture around the corner. Yeah. Yeah. But, 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 yeah, we we, uh, we we talked at the last time about the disappointment of the the Stockport Cup uh, element, but I think the process that the board and the trust had put in to appoint the manager, you know, we've all bought into James Rowe, even though none of us know who he is, we've all bought into him because, in my opinion, that the process to appoint him was right, and by all accounts, he performed best in the process. So people have got that trust there that the recruitment element has been done really seriously properly, uh, Paul. Mm. Yeah, indeed. Um, I, I think getting that structure right, you know, we uh, sort of mentioned about a possible sort of um, consultancy that may be helping the, um, the football club. You know, if you can bring in Kevin Davis to help with that consultancy, Lee Turnbull's got plenty of experience. Paul Lemon would help with that. I think that that all bodes well for the future. So to get that sort of calibre of manager that's up and coming, that wants to be at the football club, realises and how many times do managers come into this football club and not attribute its history and how, how big a club it is. I know it is at national level, it even is at League Two level, isn't it? Mm. Um, it's... It's got a lot about a lot of things going good for Chesterfield that not a lot of people realise that, that are in that sort of circle. It takes a James Rowe to come in and say, well, I knew about the history of this football club. Tom Whelan said it in his interview. And I know sometimes they're just paraphrasing stuff that's been fed to them. But you see something a little bit different with that. And for him to attribute that to the, the club, I think it's um, it's good that they've gone and got a manager who is it was outside the box thinking I think with that and he can spot different things and I think that's what we've needed other than a manager who just puts down 11 players and said well go on just uh, go and play then and, and I'm pretty sure that the calibre of applicants was very good uh, I, I've seen people saying did we approach James Rowe or, or did he apply he applied no question about that and his CV will have been enough to get him on the shortlist that doesn't mean to say you're going to get the job but anybody with the coaching qualifications and the sports science qualifications that he's got, you'd be daft not to see them, but that doesn't get them the job. Their, their performance in the interview process gets them the, the job. But I'm led to believe there were some serious contenders out there as well. Uh, it wasn't just the guy from the Kent Sunday League who stuck a letter in. There were some serious managers who we 
uh, talked about last time. So Steve Watson wasn't one of them. I'm, I'm, I'm being told he didn't apply. But the, the, the people who were on the shortlist were all ones that I think people would have been relatively pleased to have got. But all of a sudden, it's a broken the mould thing with Roe. And you look at his CV and think, I can understand why they appointed him. Then you see him in his pre-match, post-match interviews and think, I can definitely see why he was selected out of a, a crowd of, of, of 60. And um, you know, the, the presentation that he gave, by all accounts, it, it, it picked bits of Chesterfield games where errors had occurred, either individual or team errors, and compared them to, to I think, presume, predominantly Gloucester City circumstances, similar circumstances where his team were doing what he wanted them to yeah. do. Yeah. So, uh, um, you know, by all accounts, it was that level of analysis that separated him from the rest. And uh, um, he, I think, has bought into the community thing and he's also asking what the club want of him, whereas I do believe there may have been one or two who asked what the club can do for them. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure that's right, Phil. I mean, he is a breath of fresh air when you hear him. Um, and if he's that to the press and to the supporters, he's that to the players too, mm. uh, I would guess. Um, you look at his CV, uh, the Cruyff Institute, you know, the sports science. Um, he's, he's done the rounds with the under-18s, under-23s at, at decent levels before he, he went down to assist Gary Waddock at Aldershot. Um, he'd certainly he'd certainly got Gloucester uh, to a higher place than they and their supporters had known for many a long year, if ever, um, and was clearly playing football of a particular style, scoring goals and everything else that would give him that extra bit of kudos when he stood in front of a group of you know the interview. Uh, interviewers on on last Monday or whenever it was. Well, yeah, well, Chairman Mike Goodwin was 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 chatting with me and sort of saying he'd listened to our podcast, the last one, and really enjoyed it. He said and that's a direct quote, and uh, he, he was saying because we'd sort of said go for experience. He said I was worried that that people supporters might not quite buy into James Rowe because of his lack of experience. And I said to to Mike, well, he's got plenty of experience. Just because he's thirty seven, he started coaching at twenty seven. Yeah. And, Got ten years, so he's exactly the same as somebody who's ten years older than him. He just started earlier, and he's got two and a half years of relatively recent history in the division that we're in, with a team that got to the playoffs twice, and he's got a, a year's management experience with a team at the top of the height of the level immediately below, and most importantly of all, in, in my view, in the northern section, not the southern section. So he'll have been seeing players every week that may well uh, um, be potential shopping targets for ourselves because, you know, he'll have been watching them against northern teams, even though Gloucester's far from the north, uh, <laughs> as opposed to the south, where players might be a little bit more reluctant to, to move up for what, in essence, now are, are non-league wages being paid by Chesterfield. So I, I, I think he ticked all of the boxes. The fact that he's 37 is almost irrelevant. I will. I, I go on, Daryl. No, he's an absolute breath of fresh air, and um, you could you could tell by that completely different to anything you know, an old staid manager um, that that we've had of late. Certainly, um, you know the fact that he'd, he'd gone into the interview 
and knew as much about, if not more about us, than we knew about ourselves, it seemed. Um, he'd certainly watched Weymouth five times, he said, before we went down to Weymouth. And he got a plan in place. He announced that on Friday morning. Uh, we know what we're going to do. We've got a plan for it. And you thought, aye, aye, you know, um, this guy, when does he sleep almost? But yes. um, it's... Um, it, well, he's it's, a former student, so he probably doesn't sleep. He probably so, doesn't. You know, <laughs> <laughs> well, um, sleeps in the daytime. <laughs> yeah. he's, he's eloquent as well, isn't he? And, um, you know, you could see how people would relate to him on a personal level. And he, he has talked a lot about individual relationships with players and how important it is. And, you know, you've got to know yourself before you can know other people and all this kind of stuff, which is very modern. It's not, not something you would ever have heard the likes of Martin Allen in Sheridan, say, for instance. Um, and in the two games that we've seen him in charge so far, he's not been barking and bellowing from the touchline because sometimes I think that that's more about you've not got your plan over to people. Mm. Uh, and and it, it, I, I've never been one who think, thinks barking from the sidelines makes a significant difference. But he's just watched, analysed, and uh, uh, said what he needs to say at half-time and before the match and after the match. You know, he's, he's not leaping up and down like a mad thing on the on the touchline shouting and screaming at everybody. There's and, a calmness about him, isn't there? Yeah, there is a calmness. And George Foster for the two matches has sat in the stand and looked down onto the play to give a different perspective. But, but by the way, uh, yeah, the, the hold-up from everybody, from him leaving Gloucester and the, the Gloucester press breaking that he'd left um, to the quiet a long time before he was formally announced by the club. A lot of people were saying or assuming that it was uh, um, down to George Foster's position and making sure that that could happen. Well, I'm, I'm absolutely informed from the powers that be that uh, the only non-negotiable in James Rowe's presentation was that he will be coming with George Foster. So it was nothing to do with that. Oh, right. Yeah. Yeah. That was a non-negotiable. That was the package. And, uh, uh, you know, at 64, George has been around and seen it all. Nice bloke. I've, I've spoken to him on a number of occasions over the years. He was obviously at Chesterfield in the 90s in the community side. Uh, I think I think he followed A.D. Shore. If, uh, I can't quite remember the chronology uh, of it. But I think he was post-A.D. Shore, pre-Nicky Law, I think. But, yeah. Uh, yeah. Mm -hmm. So, so right in the football in the community as it was in back in the day yeah. and uh, I've, I've seen him at the, the pro act as it was stadium a few times in the last year or two and said hello a couple of times i, I don't know him don't don't make uh, i don't really make you think i know him but i've i have talked to him and uh, always found him a a, a pleasant and an intelligent guy and when i was watching that 11 v 11 training session uh, last friday uh, every time that the manager stopped it just to live review something that was happening or go over it or make an improvement or, or make, a, make a criticism or, or whatever it was, George Foster just soared onto the pitch, gather the back line, the back three together, just have a little conversation with those and uh, um, uh, uh, and put his point of view into, into where they were. It was very much attack versus defence, so... Uh, yeah. You know, the, the, the defence at times were just standing on the line watching the attackers play. But, of course, when they were practising defensive quarters and everything, that's when they, they came into their uh, in, into their own. So, yeah, breath of fresh air. And, and I, I, I spoke to him off, off, you know, with the microphones off after Weymouth and 
was telling about his dad, who I'd looked up a guy called Colwyn, and it's spelt Colwyn as in Bay, and pronounced Colwyn. I thought it might have been a funny way to pronounce Colin, but it is Colwyn Rowe, who, uh, as a 17, 18-year-old, played for Colchester, made a dozen league appearances for Colchester in 74, 5 time. And one of those dozen appearances was against the Chesterfield side that included Sean O'Neill, Andy Kowalski and Ernie Moss. And uh-huh. Frank Barlow as well, Terry Shanahan scored with Moss in a 2-1 win at Lair Road. And, uh, and he said, oh, I'll, I'll mention that to my dad. He said, you'll have to come and meet him. And then after the match on Tuesday, he said, oh, my dad's here today. Do you want to come and have a chat? So I was invited to have a chat with Colwyn and he was recalling his albeit a long time ago, memories of his one and only game against Chesterfield and particularly remembered Ernie, Ernie Moss. So, uh, you know, it, it, it's great to see that he's there and he's still involved in football. His dad's managed the national team of... Uh, uh, um, um, oh, yes, I'm, I'm just trying to think who it is. I think it might be something like... It, it isn't St. Kitts and Demi, so I don't remember who it is, but I've just forgotten. And he's, he's coached uh, at uh, Al, Ali in... Um, Egypt, they're under 23s. He's coached the Jordan under 17 national teams, as well as managing in non league football. So, you know, it, it comes from a football. It's in the blood, yeah. In the blood, in the DNA, as they say. Yeah. yeah. Uh, no, it's, it's been. It was at Bo- Botswana, Phil. Botswana, that's it. That's it. Good old Waffle. No, it's, it's been a very interesting um, few days, it has to be said. And, of course, the. Uh, the two, um, uh, the Asante signing was one thing, but then to bring in two more at the last minute on Tuesday, I thought was very interesting. Um, yeah. Um, he, he's clearly got a shopping list. How how capable we are of fulfilling it <laughs> in the current range. Uh, yeah. But um, I'm sure there'll be some outs to balance the ins because we've got one or two on short-term contracts, haven't we? Yes, you, you, you've, got, you've got the thing. Uh, uh, Kiwomia might be on borrowed time now. Yeah, yeah. Uh, exactly. uh, uh, who, who's the other one that's on loan? Tyler Denton. Tyler Yeah, he's not on loan. Yeah, he's, he's signed, doesn't he? But he's yeah. He, by all accounts, it's a short-term deal. Yeah, yeah you've got you've got to think because they've not been involved in the initial squads. Yeah. Uh, in mind, he chose not to go with the goalkeeper. On Tuesday, Tuesday, yeah. Already, he chose not to go with the goalkeeper. So you know, you've you've got 15 outfield players in the squad there, and and they're not involved in their say short term or loan deals. So so you've got to think that their time might be. And he did state that some of the younger players he'll he'll want to send out on loan and and keep an eye on how they they progress in that environment. So you've got to assume the Sharmans and the Rawsons might be on that mm. that list. Uh, well, no longer having a, a reserve team or an under-23s or something. Um, I can see him pushing for that next year, Daryl. I can yeah. see him pushing for an under-23s next year. If finances dictate, I can think that that's might what he want. Yeah. I mean, when we were talking about a, a change in attitude as well, it's been very interesting in, in the conversations where he's been measured and said, you know, we know where we are, we've got a long way to go kind of thing. But don't write this season off. Yes. No. Yeah. Um, and and I think oddly enough, I looked sadly as you do at the league table before the kick off on Tuesday, and we were like seven points off the playoffs. I don't think it's it's altered a lot, but if you can put a run together and start to get some consistency, which God forbid we haven't had for about six or seven years, um, you can shoot up this division. Well, have you seen who's third or fourth in the table? Flipping Altrincham. 
Well, exactly. We only played them 10 days ago and they were below us there. <laughs> if you play a game, that's an advantage of the minute because most yeah, of them... Well, yeah. Oh, no. Yeah. I, I, I know. It's, it, it is incredible. And, uh, uh, you know, it looks as though the, 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 the top two or three are starting to build a nice, healthy position for themselves, particularly... Torquay, but the Bromleys and the Suttons of this world are going pretty well, aren't they? Notts County have got on a bit of an unbeaten run at the moment. So, uh, but with it going down that far on playoffs, you know, as you quite rightly say, Daryl, there's only seven points away. You know, by the end of the by the turn of the year, we could be up there. And uh, you know, the the feeling it, it, it's not just new manageritis, is it? You, you get that anyway. But it's more than that, Paul, isn't it? It's, it there's, there's something, I, I wrote yeah. in my, my column on the website this week, there's something intangible, but it's tangible. Yeah, <laughs> it's some, there's something brewing, isn't there, I think. Yeah. You get the, that feeling that it's not just, ooh, man, new manager rightists, you're absolutely right. We we felt a little bit when John Sheridan came in, didn't we? You yeah. Know, some, you know, back to think, oh, he's going to play some decent football and, and whatnot. And for a short period, we did. Uh, you know, it's, it's a a John Pemberton caretaker manager type of scenario as well that, you know, we're, everybody's behind you. Let's, let's get going again. This one's, it seems to be a bit more than that. There seems to be a lot more people who are sort of buying into this than, um, than it just being a short term thing. You said the right things right now. And that sort of triggered a lot of people's light bulbs in their heads. And, you know, it's, it's the, the, the summit, summit in the backgrounds um, for the better for this football club, I think. And it's just yeah, well, going to take time, but it's working. Yeah, a, a week in, nobody's yet found anything to say that's negative. Because yeah, he's got no baggage. He's got no, yeah. no history. He's got no baggage of, of being a relegated manager. He's worked with youngsters. He's worked his way up. He's been an assistant manager in a reasonably successful side. And all the shot I've had, not, not had two pennies to rub together for a long, long time. So he's, he's done it without money being thrown at it. Yes, some people are saying Gloucester have had money thrown at them this year a, a little bit, and that's probably quite true. But, uh, um, you know, the fact is he made 19 signings or whatever to get them there, and you've still got to mould them into a team, which he obviously yeah. has done instantly. Yeah. Uh, uh, you know, interested to note the first game they lost this season was the game after he'd lost. Yeah. And, and, and the they next. lost again, didn't they? Yep. And the next one. Yeah, they lost two, yeah. yeah. No, he's... He's different gravy. Uh, the the other thing is, Phil, I think he gets the club. You get the impression he gets the club, mm. the trust, what we've been through mm. as a supporter base in, in recent years, when he talks about heritage and all that kind of stuff. He'll know the pain we've been through. You know, it's anyone that's a student of the game like he clearly is on lots of levels will think, well, you know, what the hell are they doing down there? But he'll, he'll have seen where we've come from and how we've got to where we are, and he'll also know the potential of the place. Mm. Um, and when he says he wants to get the place rocking, well, you know, he's only ever seen it with no fans in at the minute. God mm. forbid, if he, if he gets us in the top half and into the top ten and, and we're on a run, um, COVID hopefully going out the way finally in the spring, the place will, will be, you know, they'll be locking the gates. Yes, yeah, yeah, no, I, I, I can see that, absolutely see that happening. And, you know, we, we all saw people post Stockport and after them, 
you know, the, 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 the irony was the biggest turn-off was, was five minutes against Notts County, whereas at 90 minutes, everybody was saying, oh, it's about the best we've played all season, 2-1 yeah. up, pretty well. And then it just shows you, doesn't it, how, how, how it changes rapidly. A week is a long time in politics. You need three minutes in football. It had stabilised a little bit in, in, in there. And, and we can all look back at matches that haven't necessarily bought the right results, but you could see the turning point. The, the, the defeat against Mansfield at Christmas in 94-95, uh, uh, you could see, oh, actually, we're a lot better. Ironically, Phil, I've just got the uh, the the league the the fixes from that, and I was thinking that we were much further down the table than we actually were. When we lost to Mansfield on the 18th of December, we were seventh yes. on the table, so oh. we were just outside the playoff by one one place. I thought we were something like 14th or 15th, so my memory is really blurred from that. Yeah. But it's because we weren't playing very well, were we? So the results... Yeah, but there, were there, there were a couple of runaways at the top of the table. I think. Yeah. Uh, uh, and, you know, you think, well, we might get the playoffs, but, you know, we we, we got the stage, if we'd have beaten Carlisle, we'd have been probably up automatically. Yeah. And there was another time I remember us losing, it was when we were near the bottom end of a table, I can't remember the season, but we lost at home to Walsall on a Tuesday night, and you, you could feel, do you know what, that felt a lot better, we were on the turn, and, and we, we got a good res- run of results, it was the same with the win at Peterborough, when Jamie McMaster was playing, yeah, yeah, that was a big thought, oh, do you know what, we've actually got half decent side together now, yeah, I feel as though we could get some results, and we came away with the, that was the Luton season, wasn't it, I think. It was interesting, the comment you made earlier, Phil, about him utilising Tom Denton, yeah. Because, um, you know, he gets he gets a lot of criticism from certain quarters. He also gets a lot of support. He's a bit black and white, Tom, isn't he? Um, but at that level, he's a bloody handful. And uh, if we play to his strengths, if we get it more into his chest and into his feet than necessarily onto his head in the box and, and stop launching it, which we've already started to do in the two games, mm. we've started to use him more as, as he needs to be used. But, I mean, the way Asante read him on, on Saturday, uh, and again on Tuesday, but particularly on Saturday, to say that it was the first time together, was, yeah. was, was quite a revelation, really. Well, if, if, if you nominate if you nominate a penalty taker, can't kick a ball, he's not going to be a nominated penalty taker, is he? <laughs> and you, you look at how he stepped up to score that goal at Yeovil, and that's not just from a you know somebody who can head the ball and that's it. He's, he's got a lot of strength to him. His obvious strength is his height, or his ob- obvious yeah. feature is his height. So the default easy ball is to play to his height, but you don't have to play to his height. You can play to his feet and you can play to other strengths. What you don't want him to do is play the through ball that McCourt put through for Jordan Cropper to cross against Aldershot on Tuesday night because he'll not catch that. No. So, you know, as long as you play to his strengths, which aren't necessarily just all about a ball in the air, but a quasi Asante just does seem to be able to read where it's going to go. Or, either that, or he's a gambler, and at the moment, he's coming quids in. Mm-hmm. And, uh, um, and he's done quite well. And he's got on the end of an awful lot. Certainly, the most any Chesterfield player's got on the end of it since the early days of the Bowden-Denton partnership, where Scott read him in a similar way. And I'm sure still would do if he if he got game a bit more game time and a bit more involvement clearly scott had uh, was feeling the fact that he wasn't being selected as often as he felt he should have been 
No, yeah. but one of the one of the things on Saturday, Phil, was Asante was closer, far closer to them than Scott's been yes. for a while, and and Tom could actually direct flicks and headers and, and layoffs to Asante because he was near enough. Mm. It, it, it didn't have to be almost a speculative flick on or the I've got to take two touches to get it round the corner or whatever. Asante always seemed to be in front of Denton where he could see him. Mm. Yeah, yeah, I, I, absolutely right. Absolutely right. But I, I just want to talk about the player who I personally think has benefited the most in the last week or two, and actually started with a 4-4-2 against Notts County, uh, is Jordan Cropper, who uh, uh, has, has come out of his shell uh, uh, an enormous lot and under Rowe, in the 4-4-2, he didn't have to worry about defending quite so much. But under Rowe, he's chased back. He's still not a defender, don't get me wrong. But he's chased back and used his, his legs over 30 or 40 metres to make it more difficult for the left winger or left midfielder to actually get into into play. And I, I think we, we've talked about Weston's step up in the last week or two, but we know he's capable of doing that. Whereas Cropper has been... One of those players who, a bit like Denton, has divided people. But I think the last couple of games, he's been the pick of the bunch. Yeah, I agree with you. You know, he's a, he's a striker turned right wing back, isn't he? Because he was uh, a kid playing uh, up front for, for Burnley. And then they've, they've moulded him in as the under-23s into this this right wing back role that, he, that he's got. So pushing him to, to right back. Well, he's... Struggling a little bit, but he seems much more comfortable when he's further up the field, doesn't he? And got some support behind him, doesn't he? But a couple of times he's whipped those balls in, especially for Denton's goal last Saturday. It was just sublime. It was just a, a really, really good bit of football, that. And that's that's good to see that the manager, again, just asked him to go further up the field, you know. So uh, don't worry about what's necessarily behind you. And one of the tweets, we talk about little tweets that the Dave Brailsford one percenters that James Rowe's done is on the uh, right-wing corners. He's not got Buchanan taking... taking. Oh, no, he's at, no, it's left-wing corners, and he's got the right footer. He's had Mandeville and Cropper taking the throws, and also having Cropper take long throws from the left-hand side as yeah. well, so, which he hadn't done at all before. So so there's been just all of those little little tweaks. And whilst Cropper, in my opinion, has benefited from a lot of them, one player who's rarely been one that you could criticise... But again, has stepped up, not that he was ever stepping down, is David Buchanan, who uh, um, you know, clearly isn't a natural left wing back. But all of a sudden, given that extra freedom, he's the man that's on the corner of the six-yard box time and again, and you have to double-check. <laughs> is that Buchanan? Yeah, yeah. Because he, he seems to have got a new lease of life, but he, he, he was one of the few players over the last year and a half that's, that, in my opinion, hasn't. Uh, uh, being worthy of a lot of criticism, a chunk of it was playing as a central midfielder as a waste, because he, you know we you need good defenders when you when you're conceding goals, and he's one of the best defenders we've got. But yeah. his work going forward has, has has stepped up with this newfound freedom, and possibly benefited from that higher pressing game that that Rose got going. Yeah, I think I think that's that's fair, Phil. Um... I think he's been shoved all over the place, hasn't he, Buchanan? Uh, played in a four, as you say, shoved into midfield, played wide left in a four, played wide left in a five. He probably doesn't know what day of the week it is. Um, and I thought, getting back to Cropper just then, I also thought it was it was so nice to see us be 
professional and almost to the point of being cynical on Saturday. There was a number of times the opposition broke on us uh, and at halfway we committed a foul, thank God. Uh, every other team does it to us. We, we just used to let them run a mock straight to the edge of our box. And then the other one was, it gets to the last 10 minutes, Crop has had a fantastic game, but Rowe says we're taking on three points and bring Gianni on and says, you'll play that that role now for the remainder of, because you've got a defensive head on you and I don't want you careering down the right-hand side. And just little things like that make huge difference at any level, but particularly at our level of the game. Yeah, none of his substitutions that he's made in the two games so far seem to have weakened what was going on, and they all happened at a time when the club, when the team was on top. Yes. Yeah. 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 He, 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 he never made one. He's not made one when we were chasing it. Perhaps Mandeville coming on for Rowley at Weymouth might have been one of those. Oh, yeah, they're having a half decent spell at the moment. But you know, I, I think that was just about fresh legs, and probably would have happened in any circumstance in the game because of Rowley's lack of minutes in the tank. And Mandeville was like a man possessed when he came on at, at Weymouth and clearly earned his place for the starting position on, on, on Tuesday against Aldershot. But but all of the substitutions seem to have kicked the team on uh, at the point that they were made. And what more can you ask for substitutions than that? He might have just fluked it for the first couple of games. You don't know. But, you know, they all seem to have worked. Well, that might be another thing. You know, you, you talk about George Foster being sat up in the stand and giving a different view on the game. He's obviously got enormous uh, trust in Foster. Um, and he could be, as I'm not saying Roe hasn't spotted it, but if you've got your pal up there that you, that you trust implicitly who's buzzing down to you and saying X, Y, Z, you're going to take notice before you make a decision, aren't you? Well, you, you wouldn't have brought him with you if you weren't going to take any notice, would you? So, uh, there's an old boss of mine once sort of said, he said, always take expert advice. You don't always have to act on it, but always take it. And he's clearly taking the advice that George Foster's given and put it into the uh, in, in, into the mix. But, you know, what is it, Paul? What is it that the guys brought to Chesterfield Football Club at the moment? You know, because it, it just seems to have in an instant, you know, the flick of a switch, it just seems so different. I think uh, I think we mentioned to it uh, before, didn't we? A sort of fresh pair of eyes, really, looking at a situation. This football club's been down on its look for five years, not necessarily anything to do with the fans' uh, fault at all. They just want to believe in something, believe in a project. Now, he's come and realised this scenario. Look at how he couldn't wait to interview for the job. I mean, that says a lot about him, doesn't yeah. it, really? He wants to come to a football club that hasn't got as much money as it used to have, you know, but it's got all this history behind it. It's got a massive supporter base at this level. Um, it's got some good players, although they just don't realise they're good players. Um, it, it's just got something about it that he's obviously spotted that there's an opportunity for him, A, for himself as well. Mm-hmm. You know, look, if I can help Chesterfield out, this is this is brilliant for my CV, isn't it? Now, this is me going forward. Obviously, we don't want him to move on yet because it's five years' time we're looking at in the future. If As long as he does move on to a bigger club or whatever project as naturally happens, that means Chesterfield are in a much better position yeah. than they were when he took over the football club. And I think it's that fresh pair of eyes that's seeing it. We just want something to lift us. That's all. And, and he's come in and, and he's been... Um, yeah, he's just been a bit... A bit 
fresh fresh ideas i think is one one key fresh eyes to it just seeing a situation and just changing it a little bit and it's just amazing amount of positivity now obviously football you can just change quite quickly can't it we can lose the next five but we've seen something that can build on for the future well the hayden hollis thing's interesting isn't it because we've we've seen a succession of managers since hollis came to the club and they've all played him on the left of a three or or as the left of a two none of them have played him as the middle of a three Mm. and all of a sudden he's played middle of a three for two games and looks as though he's laid back in a deck chair, directing <laughs> traffic, just picking balls up at will. He, when he had that run on Tuesday night, where he picked the ball up out the back four and went on a run, like he used to do in the schoolyard, <laughs> shouting to everybody, I'm on a run, the kind of thing, and <laughs> directing traffic ahead of him with his arms as he's running over the halfway line. I'm thinking, who, who is this? Yeah, uh, yeah I, th- I think the analogy of being on a deck chair on the beach directing traffic, well, I don't see too many traffic uh, on beaches I go to, but if you'd have said donkeys, yeah. if you'd have <laughs> weeks back, that might have been more, uh, more akin. But all of a sudden, like you say, now I've always had this, you know, if you play a back three, you need a left footer on the left and a right footer on the right. But because of, of sheer numbers, the middle guy is almost exclusively right-footed. Well, yeah. What's the problem with them being left-footed? There isn't one. Yeah. It's exactly the same as you with them being right-footed. Yeah. So uh, uh, right, you yeah. know, it, it's, it, it seems oh. to have worked. And like you say, it's one of those just little tweaks that, that none of the previous incumbents have done it. Oh. You know, he obviously, it obviously helps that he knows Evans. Yeah. I, I, I think... I think the switch from Evans to the right was going to happen the minute he walked through the door, yes. uh, 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 because that's where he used to play all the shot. And that diagonal ball, which he's been putting out of, into the stands too often in recent times, he stands more of a chance of making it work from that position. <laughs> and secondly, the, the next decision was, is it going to be Yarny or Hollis in the middle role then? And he tried both of those out in his first 11v11 training session and decided along with George Foster, that Hollis was the man. And we can see why he's made that call in uh, 180 minutes in. Well, with both Yoni and Hollis, though, neither had been tried in that central role. No. And, no. And, and that's, you know, so that's two spots um, within being in, in the building five minutes. Once he made his mind up that he knew Evans better than anyone else, which he probably does, and, he, and he's, if we're playing a three, he's going on the right. I, I know you've got a fairly limited list of who will play in the centre there but none of us or, or none of the previous managers have tried Yarny or Hollis there and, and match number one against Weymouth he put Joe Rowley in at the number 10 role well, yeah. well we, we all knew that yeah yeah. No, play him on the right or on the left no or, or, or anything like that yeah just play him in the 10 that's his role whether, whether he's the best player and whether there's the answer I don't know but that's his best position yeah and, manager comes in and he's not been played in that position for probably a year or something and all of a sudden he's in he's in that position and does pretty well for 55 minutes for somebody who's got no gas in the tank yeah. you know, so uh, and, and you know I, I don't want to speak ill of John Pemberton because I like John Pemberton and I think he was doing a decent job but Pemberton had said publicly that you know if if there's no room for Mandeville and Rowley on the on the on the squad roster well yeah. they're both yeah. been for both of the matches yeah, so one playing one on the bench. So uh, uh, and then of course with Whelan and McCourt coming in, um, 
that, that that's going to make that competition a lot uh, a, a lot stiffer. Let's talk about Jack McCourt momentarily because it wasn't universally welcomed the return for Jack. <laughs> no, no, it wasn't. But but after fifteen or twenty minutes on the park, it was. Yeah. Well, he was no, he was tarnished with the relegation brush, wasn't he? I mean, yeah. anyone that had to suffer that season when we went down out of the football league and he was one when you look back actually in hindsight after the initial knee-jerk reaction he was probably one of the better ones and well he was the one that jack lester got something out of wasn't he when he first came in yeah yeah, yeah. scored quite a few goals in in a run i remember him having a an outstanding game at mansfield in in, uh, in that 2-2 draw uh, and he scored that belter at swindon and, and a, a good number of other goals yeah five but, goals I think like the rest of that squad, the last dozen games, he just got dragged into the mire and, and none of them looked as though they'd ever seen a football by the time we went to, uh, was it Forest Green or somewhere? Yeah. Uh, immediately after, didn't they? So, uh, 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 but but uh, um, I, I, I've not looked and I, I don't know, but I've struggled to think of the last central midfielder that scored five goals in a season and he was in a losing side, you know. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, and with his first touch. You know, he, he was very, very unlucky not to have uh, not to have converted from from that moment. And you know, he he, he looked very much say, as we said earlier on, he's not not played for an awful long time because he's been he was at Macclesfield, so he's not played since at least March. Um, and he's signed on a month by month deal. Uh, but he looked he looked fit enough to me, and he looked bright and breezy enough to me as well. That that. Uh, it, do I expect him to start against Sutton? Uh, yes, I think I do. Yeah, I, 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 I think I think he'd probably get the nut over Tom Whelan if it's a one or the other. They might both be in, of course. Yeah, but uh, I, I suspect if it's one or the other, Jack McCaw to get the nod. I suspect it might be both, and I think Mandeville and and Smith might make way for those two at uh, 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 Green Lane next Tuesday, next Tuesday night, and of course. That'll be a real test, won't it? That was a low point of last season, the 4-0 defeat there. And that yeah. was the Curtis Weston and the crowd at the end of the game match, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, they're going pretty well at the moment in the top three, I think, aren't they? Um, that's going to be a, a real test of what it's all about. But it's coming on the back of a, a week on the training field with them. And I assume, I've not seen who's Sutton's fixture on Saturday is due against to see if it's likely to be on or off. But of course, they'll have played on Saturday, so we'll be going there just that little bit fresher, not having had a seven million mile round trip to Dover at the, the well, weekend. They're playing it. Have played at this stage, to be honest. It would have been nice to have got that game in because they're on a bit yeah. of a down. Yeah, I mean, the, well, Sutton have got Solihull at home, so they've had, they'll have a, a battling, bruising game against them on the on the mm. Saturday. And uh, obviously Sutton have got a, a 4G pitch and Staveley have just opened theirs up. Yes. So oh. I think it's past the thing. So maybe the club could think about just giving them a quick uh, tinkle on the phone and go and utilise the new facilities and a bit mm. of a training session. Uh, nice. yeah, it'd be remiss if they didn't. But obviously I can mm. understand why they wouldn't. But I think, you know, it'd be nice if they could get a bit of practice. So Yeah, well, I, just, I, 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 I know Terry at, at Staveley, I'm sure, wouldn't be afraid to give him a ring and an, an offer if he realised something's which is uh, it, it is a plastic pitch, um, and I'm sure there'll be somebody the trust will realise that it is, and, and you know it, it'd be nice if you can get that little bit of training. But you know, Roe doesn't strike me as being somebody who'd be overly worried 
No. But that's what we're going to play on. That's what we're going to play on. So we'll just adapt our game a little bit to play on it. You know? And over the last couple of years, to be fair, we've actually not had a bad record on plastic. We've had a better record on plastic pitches away from yeah, the past. Yeah, true. So, uh, yeah. Um, you, you, you never know. And it might, might stuff because it's clearly getting the players to get the ball forward quicker without necessarily humping it every time. You know, yeah. He's looking for the, the two left and right side of central defenders to run with it up to the halfway line and deliver it to either Buchanan or Cropper pretty quickly. And, and also playing through the, the middle, we've seen runs from the, the, the midfielders as well. But you know, it, it, the tempo is, is up a notch, from not, not just from the last few weeks, but from the last year or two in the National League. Well, Weston had, has had a terrific few games, as we've said. But, I mean, he was playing the ergo sort of uh, deeper role on, on Tuesday and I had two or three cracking efforts at goal, didn't he? Yes. But by doing that, you know, um, the whole team has been on the front foot, let's be honest. Um, mm-hmm. We've been looking for forward passes rather than square and back passes, which which yes. is such a nice thing to see. Yeah, and, and they are willing to be patient if the opposition are lining up in such a way that crowds a, a, a narrow area where there aren't too many options. They will look and search for it. But all of a sudden, you're starting to see people running off the ball mm. into space, running deeper, a little bit more than has been the uh, the case. So opening up the option to pass effectively or, or, or uh, um, positively quicker than has been the case, whereas it might be just faffed around between the back three for five minutes. Which... Well, we did the route one on Tuesday, even when they went down to 10 men, did we? We, we did we did play. Uh, we got it down and we played and we tried to pick holes in them and keep the ball shifting from side to side. Mm-hmm. It was, you know, as, as, a, uh, as a spectator, you were thinking, well, we know what we're doing here. We're trying to shift the defence and create holes and, and get people behind them. Um, and let's face it, how oh, we've not won that game Tuesday, I've no idea. Yeah. Um, their keeper had an absolute blinder, didn't he? Um, I I, I, the match on Saturday was a Weymouth keeper as well. So, hey, you know, that that says an awful lot. And in 180 minutes under James Rowe, we've only conceded one goal as well, which is the first time all season that we've we've managed to only concede one goal in two games. So, you know, not only are we creating chances, we're, we're restricting chances for the opposition as well. Um, yes, whilst no keeper's going to save the Sean Shields shot from Weymouth, um, the keepers have not really had an awful lot to do in the last couple of games, which to me is a massive bonus as well, because clearly looking at James Rowe's record, it is about going forwards rather than... <laughs> yeah. And I did, I did uh, say to him, my first uh, words in the Radio Sheffield interview on Tuesday was, that's the first nil-nil you've ever been involved in as a manager. <laughs> And it was. So, uh, uh, and, yeah, in, in, in the piece I did on the, the website, it was a, a lots of firsts. First draw, first nil-nil, first time we're not scored at home in an age, all that sort of thing. So, uh, um, you know, you know it, it just feels feels different. And now we've, we've, we've talked about that. But throwing forward to the next game, Sutton, plastic pitch, team going quite well. Paul just said they've got Solihull at the weekend, so you know they might have 11 unfit players by the end of that. <laughs> uh, um, but you know, of, of the times we've gone down there, this feels to be the best time that we're going to it, to, to Sutton. It was rock bottom last year, 
uh, at that time. That was a real nadir of the season for me. But you just feel as though it might be something that we might just nick something there. I, I'd take a draw presented to me right now. Don't get me wrong. Yes, but, but you never know. It, it it might be it might be something that with that extra day or two on the pitch training pitch because he's only he only had Friday and Monday. Yeah. <laughs> He's now he's now got let's assume they had a Wednesday off. He's now got Thursday, Friday, weekend if he wants to do anything the weekend, Monday before they go on Tuesday. You know, wow, what can he achieve in that time? Mind the mind boggles. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, keep, it, it, I think just keep picking up points, I think is the, the quest, isn't it, really? And and yeah. just see see how you go, isn't it? Obviously the back of two performances. We've got a break on this Saturday and it, we didn't really want the, the the break to be honest, but we've got it and we've got to deal with it. So Go down to Sutton on Tuesday, try and get something from a side who are flying high, um, and show them what you're made of, rather than worry about too much about what Sutton are in in actual facts, and get back home again when you've got a a good game against Barnet who are struggling. Yeah, and and you know Sutton's playmaker at the moment, their their star performer Harry Beautyman, who's played as many times in non-league and previously with the likes of Peterborough, uh, um, but you know. We, we, even with the team not flying, we've done okay with him. He's, he's you know, yeah. he, he, he can clearly play a little bit, but yeah, I'm, I'm sure, I'm sure we can restrict his involvement in the game quite a quite a bit coming up to it. But you know, the, and then of course Barnet at, at home the Saturday after, they're a bonkers side this year, aren't they? Um, you know, they're, they're, their result can be almost anything. They got tonked. Was it this weekend or last midweek? They they lost heavily, didn't they? And uh, Tuesday lost a lost five two, didn't they, or something yeah. like that? Didn't they? Oh, yeah, yeah. And and so you're never quite sure what you're going to expect from those. And I know home advantage isn't what it was when there's people in the stadium. Not that people in the stadium has done us any favours over the last few years, but uh, um, you feel as though that's a more than winnable game against Barnet. So if we can nick something from Sutton, you know, and get another four points in those two games. It, it, it started to, as, as James Rowe said, it's starting to be the two points against promotion for. Yeah, absolutely yeah. right. Absolutely right. Then, and then they've got FA Trophy on the 19th of December. And yeah, I'm not sure how to win that. They, they cancelled the prelims, didn't they? Or, or, mm. or they haven't been taking place. So I'm not sure whether we'll have a game on that day in the FA Trophy. I suspect that could well be a rearranged over date. Mm. Ah, right. Okay. Because they halted some of the preliminary rounds, didn't they? Yeah. So I can't a little bit behind. Age where we come in by that day. Yeah. Phil, when you've been chatting to Mr. Rowe off mic, maybe, has has he made any mention of the welcome he's had off the supporters? Oh uh, yes, he has, and uh, it, it, he's really pleased. Obviously, he's not had the chance to meet in person uh, people, but uh, he is he is on Twitter. He's got a Twitter handle. He does look at uh, bits and bobs. So, yeah, I, th- I think he realises that he's, he's been given a warm welcome by the, the general population. Uh, and uh, I, I, think, I think he enjoys that. I think, I think he's the sort of person who probably likes being liked. And, uh, uh, but I, equally, I don't think he'll do stuff just to be liked. No. Well, Cookie always used to make me laugh. Do you remember when, when he used to come out before away games and just before the teams and march up to the away end and yeah, give him yeah. a slap, punch his chest and all that kind of thing to get everyone going. 
And someone asked him once at one of the Q&As, why do you do it before the match? And he says, nobody's ever booed you before a game. Uh, <laughs> uh, and, uh, but it's daft things like that, that that fans get affinity with, isn't it? Yes, it, it, it is. And, you know, uh, back in all of our early days at the end of the match, the players used to shake hands with each other, shake hands with the referee and trapes off. Nobody ever expected them to go and wave to the away fans or the home fans for that matter. But now it's become a bit of a thing. So it's noticed when it doesn't happen. Yeah. You know, it's a negative when it doesn't happen rather than a positive when it does. But you talk to any Chesterfield fan about Paul Cook and what stood out about him, the going and waving to away fans before every match and home fans before every match will be in everybody's top three of, of, of good things. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, because he did do it all of the time, every time, and and uh, he was the last. Okay, he passed his his interview on a day that Chesterfield beat Accrington Stanley four three, and we had Jack Lester, and they didn't. Yes. Uh, um, so he had a slightly different interview process, but you know he 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 was the last recruitment that was a little bit off the wall, like James Rowe is, and well, I think that's what people are grabbing hold of. Yeah, on the James Rowe thing, he was he was Warwick's number two on the night that Martin Allen's first home game, after we'd won at Ebbsfleet on the Saturday, yeah. and it was the Tuesday night, wasn't it? Um, there was the feel-good factor around us having won a game and circuit, <laughs> yeah. circuit top of the league. Um, 5,000 there, wasn't there, that night? got the two goals and whatever. The kickoff was delayed for the number of getting people into the ground. Yeah. Uh, it was about about five thousand, but the atmosphere was electric. Fantastic, and, yeah. And, and we really struggled to beat them one nil, if I remember, didn't we? Uh, no, we beat them three, didn't we? Three nil. Three nil. Yeah. Carter yeah. got two, didn't he? Oh, right. It was last season that we beat them one nil with the second best team, wasn't it? That's yeah, right. that's right. Yeah. It was last season when they mullered us, but we won one nil. Yeah. But on that on that game, if you're if you're assistant manager and you sat, you stood at the side or sat at the side watching the game, and the place is rocking. Yeah, I mean, he he has seen it rocking, so he he knows he knows what what the place could be like if he can get it going. Yeah, uh, and, and yes, I'm 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 sure, and and of course, yeah, with the greatest respect to Aldershot and Gloucester, he's probably not been in a position where the home team that he's been involved with at that that those sort of levels has been in that position. Yeah, you know, uh, but yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm sure he he has seen, and I'm sure he's read the history books as well. But no, he he, he is a, a, a handing glove fit for today. We might all change your mind tomorrow, but he's he's a handing glove fit for today. Great process, great approach. I think what we alluded to last time in the podcast about a potential, you know football committee or, or board or something along those lines. I, I, I think that's naturally iterating at the club with the likes of Kevin Davies, who was at Weymouth. I had a bit of a chat with before the game at Weymouth. And with Lee Turnbull and, and, and co, um, I, I do think that, that that is starting to, to happen. And I think James Rowe is somebody who will thrive on milking the experience of people who've been there, seen it all and done everything over a long period of time. I think he'll be hungry to learn everything there is to learn. Or 
to realise that some people's views differ from his, that doesn't make them right, and it doesn't make him wrong, or vice versa. Yeah. Phil, do you know if, if Kevin Davis approached the club to help out, or was it the other way around? I think Kevin approached the club, but I do think if he hadn't have done, the club would have approached him. Right, okay. So, I know certainly John Crute remains, uh, has remained in touch with him for a while, so... Uh, I do believe, and I'm not saying this is absolute gospel, but I do believe he approached the club offering help, but I think they, he would have probably been rung up anyway. Right. So, there just seems to be a natural fit, again, uh, with Kevin and, and the, the place that gave him his break in the early years. Because, of course, he'd been at Sheffield United before and, and not taken on by them, had he? So, yeah. you know, he, he, he was in the potential going out the game pile. Yes. Um, before he's 16 and a half, he's playing in the first team. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Sheffield United didn't even keep him on as a as a junior. So you know, I, I, he's a, he he's got great affinity with the uh, and as has Lee Turnbull for somebody who was a a, a sort of pseudo journeyman footballer who only had a year or two at Chesterfield. He just seems to have got that level of affinity with the place as a lot of other people mm-hmm. have. You know, the, the amount of ex players who remain in the town after they've finished playing, even though they might have gone to other clubs, is, I would think, higher than average. Yeah, yeah. Just, you know, I don't know what it is. I don't know. We're, we're all local lads, so it doesn't, you know, we, we probably can't see what it is because we're too close to it sometimes. Yeah. And, uh, uh, um, you know, it's, it's our town, so why wouldn't people like it? Yeah. But, yeah, to, to, to sort of sum up, really, and finish off, is this the best we've felt since the day before the second leg of the playoffs and possibly the day before the uh, whichever came first in Gateshead or Maidenhead at home in uh, in September a couple of years ago? Is it, is it the most positive feeling since those sort of times? I think so. I think um, I certainly feel a little bit uh, much, much better than what's happened over the... Even just being in the, the National League. I know I was looking back at the first three games, actually, that we played um, in the National League as well, and what a good feel-good factor that was and how it all went wrong at Barrow, didn't it? Uh, after yeah, but we all came away from Barrow saying, you know what, if we play like that every week, we'll do all right. Yeah, but we lost Ben and Williams, didn't we, to, uh, and Wedgby to injury, and it all went sort of pear-shaped from there, yeah. didn't it, really? Oh, and and I've not really sort of got that feeling better now than I did do then, if you, if you get what I mean. So, um, but maybe because I think it's something to do with the Martin Allen. I didn't really want Martin Allen as manager, but like, you know, I thought he'd do a job. But that, you know, I, I'm certainly feeling a lot better anyway. Yeah, but the, the, the two defeats immediately after those three wins, say Salford and, and Barrow, there were lots of positives in both of them, weren't there? They were, and yeah. Both, both games that could have been won. Stupid yeah. standing off from Bill and Williams and then a Probably been a bit too gung ho away at Salford and going for a win and losing in the last minute. And Carter uh, getting injured, yeah. Carter got injured as well, absolutely right, yeah. Uh, um, and then you say it was that that dreadful week, Gateshead and, and Maidenhead, wasn't it? With 3 0 and 3 1, was it? Yeah. On Saturday and Tuesday, uh, which all of a sudden started the, the, the down mood, and then we had all the draws, didn't we, for the next two and a half years? <laughs> yeah. and, uh, uh, but, but, you know, that, that, that fact is there. Do you feel it as well, Daryl? Do you, do you think it's... Yeah, yeah I do. ...at the point that Sheridan came back or John Pemberton was was, nom- was, was main manager or whatever? Do you, do you think so? 
it is a different feeling, as you said earlier, Phil. I think Sheridan, we just wanted anyone back that we could hang our hat on to get us out of a hole, and we were in a hole. Similarly, I think none of us were quite shocked when it went wrong with him again, as it had done the time before. Um, and Pemberton came in and, and did a terrific job digging us out of a hole. I think we were, in a way, lucky the league fe- season finished when it did, because God knows what might have happened. But we, he, he got us out of a hole. Uh, was there any longevity in John? Probably not, in all honesty. Um, certainly, it was it wasn't going to ignite the fan base again and give them some belief that we could actually get back into the football league. And I know, you know, I'm talking from a position of us being whatever we are in the table. But after two games and four points from two games, and just the air of confidence about the guy, uh, the calmness as we we talked about earlier. Uh, I was down at I was down at the club doing something earlier in the week, and and the difference in and around the ground already is palpable. Mm. There are players walking around whistling and this and that and the other and singing, and you know all the staff look as though the weight of the world's been lifted off the shoulders. And I know that can happen in football with just a couple of decent results, but it, it seems more than that. It does seem more than that. And uh, I haven't seen this level of enthusiasm on social media either for, well, I can't remember last when, probably when Jack was appointed, if, you know, in all honesty. And that was more hope than belief. Yeah, 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 yeah. Whereas this is, I say, I, I, I do think, back to what I said a little bit earlier, I, I think the critical point of this is the process. Yeah. Yeah, the club have been very open about the process that they've used and very open about the person who performed best and it got the job. Well, hey... <laughs> that's a bit novel, isn't it? You know, that's what most businesses have been doing for a long, long time, but they don't tend to do it in football. And, so. and I think the speed of it as well, you, you've got to give credit to them. They didn't sit on the hands. They'd obviously got, you know, I think Mike, Mike more or less said that John Pemberton fell on his sword as we suspected. Yes. But um, they didn't hang about then because that was on the on the Wednesday after the Altrincham game. Uh, and the interviews took place the following Monday. So yes. You know, whatever plans Mike and the others and John and Co had got in place, they got going pretty quick, didn't they? Mm. And again, I think that's that's added to the air of confidence in the whole setup now. That well, these guys actually do know what they're on with. You know, um, they brought in they brought in football people. They've, they've gone, as you say, through the right process, and they've done it very, very quickly because it needed doing quickly. It did, it did, and you know, well, well, here we are on December the whatever it is date. We're all uh, pretty happy with life, and we'd all like Santa to bring us a few more points, or I suppose a Sante to score us a few goals and <laughs> points. So, uh, well, it's the most positive podcast we've had for a considerable amount of time. So, uh, well, you never know; we might be back with a Christmas special or something like that. We'll uh, we'll see how we go. But for me, Phil Tilly. Paul Fisher and Daryl Carpenter. It's a threesome tonight, three degrees or something like that. Well, I hope you've enjoyed it and we'll catch you again next time around. Not the blues, but something next year.